pretty kitty kitty. That's a pretty kitty. That's a pretty kitty. Wow. Loosen those lips. Loosen them lips. Hey, I'm Rachel. I'm Grace. Welcome to the podcast. Or, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to Myths and Misfortunes. A paranormal and true crime podcast. Uh, each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. And or the area surrounding that place. Sometimes it's difficult. Yeah, well, this week we are focusing in Tacoma, Washington. I did history. Yay, history. I kind of sort of tried to proofread. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I got this from Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We all know how that goes. It's extremely accurate at all times. Always. Okie dokes. Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma. The area was inhabited for thousands of years by American Indians, predominantly the Poyallup people, who lived in settlements on the Delta in 1852, a Swede named Nicholas Dillon built a water-powered sawmill on a creek near the head of Commencement Bay, but the small settlement uh, that grew around it was abandoned during the Indian War of 1855 to 1856. In 1864, uh, pioneer and postmaster Job Carr built a cabin, which also served as Tacoma's first post office. Carr hoped to profit from the selection of Commencement Bay as the terminus of the Transcontinental Railroad and sold most of his claim to developer Morton M. McCarver, who named his project Tacoma City, which derived from the indigenous name for the mountain. Tacoma was incorporated on November 12, 1875, following its selection in 1873 as the western terminus of the Northern Pacific Railroad. However, the railroad built its depot on New Tacoma, two miles Tacoma. south of the Carr McCarver development. The two communities grew together and joined, merging on January 7, 1884. The transcontinental link was affected in 1897, and the population grew from 1,098 in 1880 to 36,006 in 1890. So that's like wow, a big boom yeah. in 10 years. Yeah. Literally Maybe. like... 36 times. Baby making. (laughs) Rudyard Kipling visited Tacoma in 1889 and said it was literally staggering under the boom of the boomiest. He was an English journalist, short story writer, poet, and novelist. In 1885, November 1885, white citizens, down, down point, bad, white citizens led by then-mayor Jacob Wise. Bach 
expelled several hundred Chinese residents peacefully what? living in the city. As described by the account prepared by the Chinese Reconciliation Project Foundation, on the morning of November 3rd, several hundred men, led by the mayor and other city officials, evicted the Chinese from their homes, corralled them at 7th Street and Pacific Avenue, marched them to the railway station at Lakeview, and forced them aboard the morning train to Portland, Oregon. The next day, two Chinese settlements were burned to the ground. So, rough time. Uh, um, on a different note, the discovery of gold in the Klondike in 18... 18- 98 led to Tacoma's prominence in the region being eclipsed by the development in Seattle. So in 1929, a crash of the stock market... Stock market? Stark market! market. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In 1929, um, crash of... Oh my god. Stock? Dude. Okay. You got this. The... The... The 1929 crash of the stock... Stark market. <laughs> that's, I'm sorry. So that's gonna that's gonna be the title now. Stark market. market. <laughs> okay. The 1929 crash of the stock market, resulting in the Great Depression, was only the first event in a series of misfortunes to hit Tacoma in the winter of 1929 to 1930. In one of the coldest winters on record, Tacoma experienced mass power outages and eventually the shutdown of major power supply dams, leaving the city without sufficient power and heat. During the 30 day, 30 days. Okay, so during the 30 day power shortage in the winter of 1929 and 1930, the engines of the aircraft carrier USS Lexington provided Tacoma with electricity. Lexington, Kentucky, it all comes back to Kentucky. (laughs) It's a great big roundabout. A power grid failure paired with a newly rewritten city constitution put into place to keep political power away from a single entity, such as the railroad, created a standstill in the ability to further the local economy. So local businessmen, businesses were affected as a sudden stop of loans limited the progression of expansion and renewal funds for maintenance, which led to foreclosures. So... Families across the city experienced the fallout of economic depression as breadwinners sought to provide for their families. So shantytown politics began to develop as the destitute needed some form of leadership to keep the peace. Shantytown politics? Yes. Shanty. Shantytown. So you know what a shantytown is, right? Shanty. Explain to me what a shantytown is. All right. Because I'm just thinking old-fashioned old miners towns and no a shanty town or squatter area is a settlement of improvised housing uh, oh gotcha yeah, known as shanties or shacks they're made of plywood corrugated metal sheets of plastic and sometimes cardboard boxes they uh typically are developed when a town like there's no infrastructure and shanty towns all don't have proper sanitation safe water supplies electricity hygienic sh- uh streets or basic needs to support humans. Mm-hmm. Mm, fun. Yes. So basically, shanty towns became a solution to the depression on the intersection of Dock Street, EXD, and East D Street. Ugh. In the train yard. Okay. Okay. Hooverville? Hoover? Tacoma's Hooverville. Like the vacuum cleaner? Do it. Hoover? No, it's just what the shanty town was called. Oh, okay. I didn't know we were still talking about the shanty town. <laughs> yeah. 
It grew in 1924 as the homeless community settled on the waterfront. Uh, the population boomed in November of 1930 through 1931 as families from the neighboring McKinley and Hilltop areas were evicted. Uh, in 1935, Tacoma received national attention when George Weyerhaeuser, the nine-year-old son of prominent lumber industry executive J.P. Weyerhaeuser, was kidnapped while walking home from school. Oh, yeah. What happened with that? FBI agents from Portland handled the case in which a ransom of $200,000 secured the release of the victim. Uh. Four persons were apprehended and convicted, and the last to be released was paroled from McNeil Island in 1963. George Weyerhaeuser, the kid that was uh, kidnapped, went on to become chairman of the board of Weyerhaeuser Company. Good for him, I guess. Okay. I mean, if he enjoys it, then okay. But <laughs> I mean, it doesn't but matter I mean, now. Yeah, it doesn't matter now, but still. <laughs> in 1951, an investigation by state legislative committee revealed widespread corruption in Tacoma's government, which had been organized commission style since 1910. Voters approved a mayor and city manager system in 1952. Downtown Tacoma experienced a long decline through the mid-20th century. Harold Moss, the city's mayor at the time, characterized late 1970s Tacoma as looking bombed out like downtown Beirut. Uh, Streets were abandoned, storefronts were abandoned, and City Hall was the headstone and Union Station the footstone. Okay, so like a giant grave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. The the first local referendums in on... Backtrack. Uh, (laughs) I did that one time and we've repeated it so many. The first local referendums in the U.S. on computerized voting occurred in Tacoma in 1982 and 1987. So the first time they used uh, computers for voting. So like the computerized systems instead of like... Just handing in ballots. Yeah. Yeah. On both occasions, voters rejected the computer voting systems that local officials sought to purchase. The campaigns organized by Eleonora Balasio... Yep. Balasio, yep. Bala... It's B-A-L-L-A-S-I-O-T-E-S. Sure. A conservative Republican focused on the vulnerabilities of computers to fraud. Really? Imagine that. Hmm. Okay. Fraud on computers. <laughs> that's mm. not the part I focused on. But. I know. <laughs> but that's the part I focused on. Okay. <laughs> Beginning in early 1990s, city residents and planners took steps to revitalize Tacoma, particularly the downtown. They rebuilt a campus for the University of Washington, the numerous privately financed renovation projects near the campus, the Washington State History Museum, Museum of Glass, Tacoma Art Museum and the region's first light rail line. The Glass and Steel Greater Tacoma Convention and Trade Center opened in November 2004. America's Car Museum was completed in late 2011 near the Tacoma Dome. Tacoma's hilltop neighborhood struggled with crime in the 1880s and early 1990s. Due to its high crime rate, Washington residents nicknamed the city Tacompton. Tacompton? Yeah. What? Uh, the recent beginning of the 21st century has seen a marked reduction in crime while neighborhoods have enacted community policing and other policies. And in 2004, Tacoma was ranked among the top 30 most livable communities in an annual survey conducted by the Partners for Livable Communities. Oh. And that's Tacoma. What year did they say that about Tacoma? 2004. I don't know about anything since then. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> well, no, 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 that's fine. It's just... I was thinking about 
my story. Oh, no, yours, yours happened before. <laughs> before that, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, then we're just gonna segue right into my little, little murder. Murder. People. Murder. Murder. Please be advised that this episode may contain mentions of multiple forms of sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners. So if that pertains to you, we advise that you skip ahead 20 to 30 minutes to the next story. The story this week is on the Green River Serial Killer. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my stars and goddess. Okay, the truth be told, apparently he's an infamous killer and... Yes. I didn't know anything about him. <laughs> yeah, you said, uh, the last time I was here, you were like, oh, I'm doing the Green River Killer, and I was like, what? Yeah, and I didn't know anything about him. Uh, there's some things I don't know, but I know most of it, so you might cover stuff that I don't know. Well, let's hope that I am going to cover a little bit that you don't know. Let's see. I'll probably be shocked. I don't remember anything, so. Yeah, well, I'm not going to delve too deep into it because I didn't want this episode to go on for ever. So I'm just kind of touching some bases, even though I have eight pages worth of notes. It's a lot. I do know that. Yeah. It's a lot. My sources, I actually got my sources from Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Crime Junkie. Huh? Good old Murderpedia. Yeah, Murderpedia. It's fantastic. Crime Junkie podcast and Criminology podcast and Thought Catalog. So just a real quick for people like me who didn't (laughs) know, and then we'll go into it. Uh, Throughout the 1980s and 1990s, it is believed that Gary Ridgway murdered at least 71 teenage girls and women near Seattle and Tacoma, Washington. Yep, yep. A majority of the victims were killed between 1982 and 1984 and were found at dump sites within South King County in Washington. That's just so many people for two years. Right. Well, and it, it's, I mean, it's just the majority of the victims were Mm -hmm. between 82 and 84. That's not all of them. Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean, remember, he was active from 1980 to 1990. Yeah. And, heck, even a few after into 2001. Yeah, but it's just so crazy because there are some serial killers that are, like, they are active for, well, Longer periods. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, like, active, active, but they, like, all of their uh, victims, like, all the murders span over years and Mm -hmm. years, and some are just, like, so many in such a short period of time. Yeah. Well, also, it took them two decades to catch him. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) it's not like they weren't trying, it just took two decades. Well, anyway, victims' bodies were left in clusters, sometimes posed, and usually left in the nude. Little bit about Mr. Ridgway. Uh, He was born in February of 1949 to Thomas and Mary Ridgway in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, that's so weird. Why? Because my grandma was born in, like, the month after that. Oh, that is weird. It's so weird to think about somebody like that being Okay, well, that's how old he is now. (laughs) I know. It's just so weird to think about somebody like that being a a grandfather. Mm Mm-hmm. And he probably is. Yeah. He has two brothers, Gregory Leon and Thomas Edward. As a child, his home life was somewhat troubled. His mother has been described as somewhat domineering. Ridgway had witnessed more than his fair share of arguments between his parents, and there's actually a police report 
where his mother had hit his father over the head with a plate. Jesus. His father, however, did not re- retaliate. So, I mean, commends to him for not huh. doing any. Well, I mean, say something. But commends to him for not, like, you know, being physical. I don't know. I mean, I could understand being in an abusive relationship and not saying anything, but yeah. Yeah. Ridgeway also had a bedwetting problem, which, let's be honest, is common for a lot of young children at one point or another. Yeah, to be honest, I think I wet the bed until I was like 11. Yeah, but he did this until he was 13. And on top of that, his mother would always be the one to find him and would have to bathe him immediately, paying just a little too much attention to his genital area. This ultimately led Gary to having mixed feelings about his mother of both anger and sexual attraction. On top of the inappropriate touching of her 13-year-old son, she would belittle and embarrass him in front of their family. Personally, I think a mother shouldn't belittle and embarrass her kids. Now, it's different if you're doing the whole, oh, honey, come here, you got dirt on your cheek, let me get that for you. Yeah. Versus his mother, who would make a show out of every time he accidentally wet the bed. As I mentioned, he had conflicting feelings of sexual attraction and anger toward his mother, and it was fourth grade when Ridgway began having these inappropriate thoughts about her. He would, well, hold on, different kind of inappropriate he would often think about hurting her in in order to make her stop belittling him. Yeah, that I can kind of understand. Yeah, so, like, he actually openly said this in an interview he had after he was arrested. Mm. At a very young age, he was tested to have an IQ of only 82, which signified a very low intelligence. He did so poorly in school that at one point in high school, he had to repeat a single year twice in order to pass. Which... Yikes. Yeah, so... I mean, there are definitely, like... I understand repeating a grade. Mm-hmm. Like, I totally get that. I just... It's really surprising, like, hearing about... Because when you think about serial killers who get away with things for long periods of time, you think they gotta be, like... They have to be super intelligent or super... Yeah. Excuse me, super cunning or something. Um, I mean, I guess that test doesn't necessarily signify anything but it well i mean it's an iq test it it tests some aspects but not necessarily others others yeah Yeah. like i don't know you'll you'll find out a little bit later on that he had had to be very intelligent in a way to make this continue for 20 plus years yeah yeah if you thought his childhood was troubled with Mm. the parent problems his high school years were much worse in junior high, Ridgeway got a thrill out of following female classmates home. Ew. He would stalk them as well, and at one point, Ridgeway attempted arson, but it did not give him the same thrill as stalking teenage girls. <laughs> mm. uh, also, as a teenager is when he started having these sexual thoughts about his mother. Oh. And... This is when he started fantasizing about killing her because of his sexual attraction. At 16, he led a six-year-old boy into the woods and then stabbed him through the ribs and into his liver. Thankfully, the little boy survived and even recalled asking Ridgeway why. At that point, apparently Ridgeway had walked up to the boy, wiped the blade that he had used to stab him on the little boy's shirt, and said, I always wondered what it would be like to kill someone. What the fuck? Yeah, by the way, the police were called, but he wasn't arrested and faced no known 
consequences. Why? I don't know. But I mean, if he's already doing this stuff at 16, don't you think that they should have, you know. It's a sign that maybe you should keep an eye on that motherfucker? Yeah, really. <laughs> and to make matters worse, he uh, joined the Navy while still in high school at 18. Mm. Mm-hmm. He did not graduate until he was 20, but he then married his high school sweetheart, Claudia Barrows. Barrows? Barrows. Let's say Barrows. Barrows, yeah. Then he was sent to Vietnam, like, very soon after their marriage, where he served on board a supply ship and... Like, you said he was in the Navy? Uh Uh-huh. Huh. I think my grandpa was in the Navy during the Vietnam War. He was sent to Vietnam, where he served on board a supply ship and saw combat. During his time with the Navy, Ridgeway began to spend a lot of time with sex workers and in turn contracted gonorrhea. Nothing wrong with sex workers? Nope, not at all. Honest way to earn some money, so, yeah. Although, angered by this, he continued to not use protection. What a stand-up fucking guy. Right! You know, just, you know, give every girl you sleep with that and... Yeah. During his time away, his now 19-year-old wife also began to date again, and their marriage quickly faded. On July 23rd, he was honorably discharged from the Navy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was kind of my thought, too. But that's what my research says, so... Mm. Okay. He and Claudia tried to make it work, but with infidelities on both sides, they did not pull through. Gary then filed for divorce that August. Like most people getting out of a long-term relationship, he was a little bitter about it. Later claiming that she had moved in with several men and became a sex worker following their divorce. Good for her. Yeah, good, good for her. She's probably making some good money. I think about right here is where he began having a lot of the major issues that he had with sex workers in his twisted mind. Oh, so you think that maybe the uh, divorce from his wife was the um, trigger? I think it was one of the triggers. I think he probably had multiple triggers because he did have a second wife, which didn't help. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've forgotten so much of this, so half the stuff you're telling me, I don't remember at all. That's okay. I think he then began attributing sex work with that of his high school sweetheart turned ex-wife who cheated on him, despite the fact that he did the same to her. Just like a man. Yeah, just like a man. It's like, I can do it, but you can't do it. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, there's a lot of women who act like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not it's not just men. A lot of women do it, too. That's fair. Yeah. I, I apologize. <laughs> I'm... I know. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. In in 1972, this is creepy, by the way. Gary met Marsha Winslow. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. Sorry. I bet you can't guess how he met her. Sex work. <laughs> well, I mean, um, no, that's not creepy. Did, that's well, awkward. Okay, I can get. Let me guess. Guess. The post office. No. Oh. Any more guesses? Um. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. A bar. No. No. Grocery store. No. Fuck. I said um, creepy. Oh, creepy. Um, he kidnapped her dog and then... <laughs> okay, and that is creepy, to, but no. Um, you go. I don't know. Okay. He met Marsha Winslow while he was driving on the highway. Uh, he saw her driving past him. Okay. He turned around, flagged her down in what, in what Winslow would later describe as a police-like stop. Okay, um... My parents met like that. <laughs> really? Hi, Crystal. Uh, so no, really? What? <laughs> so, 
very creepy way. <laughs> so they, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the full story. I just vaguely remember it. Um, they, my, I think my, my mom was in her friend's car and my dad was in the back of a truck. Cause you know, it was back when you could like be on the be highway on the and be yeah. in the back of the truck. Um, Oh, that's and been a while. That's when they first saw each other, and they both ended up at the mall. I think I'm gonna have to confirm all of this, okay. but yeah. But that's a little bit different. Your dad didn't flag her down. I know, I know. It's just they met <laughs> on the they, highway. <laughs> they locked so. eyes on the highway and knew. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, he uh he flagged her down like he was a cop. Yeah, no, that's fucked up. But he wasn't a cop. He didn't look like a cop. But was flagging down this woman, and she just stopped for him. Don't, I mean, can't victim blame. No, you can't, I mean, I can't victim blame at all, but also, this guy doesn't look like a cop. But also, please do not do this. Yes, but also, please do not stop on the side of the highway if someone is flagging you down. Did you, you just get- try to eat my toe? <laughs> Probably. She just tried to eat my toe. <laughs> you don't want that. It's dirty. I've been s- nah, okay. she's not eating. She's just rubbing. She opened her mouth the first time. <laughs> I what forgot where we were. What, 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 uh, she flagged, he flagged her down, pretended to be a cop. Don't, not cool. Don't do that. Yeah, not cool. Don't do that. You get off at the nearest busy exit. Go to, like, a McDonald's or something. Some very public place. And if you think it is a cop, you call in to 911 and be like, hey, there's a person who I think is a cop following me. Yeah, better safe than... Sorry. Yeah, and just, you know, just kinda... If you tell them that, if there's someone who is flagging you down, they'll call it in and be like, hey... Is there anyone following this person? But, you know, like, back then, it wasn't really a thing to, yeah. I know it really wasn't a thing, but, I mean, still, you don't, you don't, you want to go public. I know it bothers you, but back then, it's just, people are, People were way too trusting. (laughs) I know, I, but, still. People were way too trusting. So, okay, despite this giant red flag. Oh, giant. Giant red flag. They began dating, and within a year, Marsha moved in with Gary. They were then married December 1973, and would later have a son they named Matthew in 1975. Oh, Turn. so he very well might be a grandfather. Oh yeah, he very yeah. well might be a grandfather. Entirely possible. During this time, Ridgeway became fanatically religious. He would go door-to-door proselytizing Reading, what the fuck does that mean? Like, going door-to-door trying to spread the word about God. Oh. Yeah. Reading the Bible aloud at work and at home, and insisting that his wife follow the strict teaching of their pastor. Hmm. He would also frequently cry after sermons and after reading the Bible. However, despite his strict beliefs, Ridgway continued to solicit the services of sex workers and wanted his wife to participate in sex in public and inappropriate places. Sometimes even in places where bodies of his victims were later discovered. No! Right. That's gross. Right. Look, I don't judge you for wanting to have multiple partners. I won't judge you for wanting to have sex in public places if nobody can see you. I won't judge you for a lot of things, but I'll judge you for trying to have sex on top of a corpse. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I I, under- I guess I understand if you have a kink for, you know, doing stuff in public, but again, on top of a frickin' corpse. That's gross. Yeah. That's just... 
Also, I'd be way too afraid of someone just kind of, like, a stumbling upon the scene. <laughs> I think that's part of the thrill. I, I know, but still. Um, uh, backtrack. <laughs> uh, according to the women in his life, he had an insatiable sexual appetite. Ridgeway himself admitted to having a fixation with sex workers. No, go figure with whom he had a strong love-hate relationship with. He would frequently complain about the sex workers' presence in his neighborhood, but also took advantage of their services regularly. So, uh, around the time that Marce- Marcia's, as I tried to say, Marcia's... Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. Around the time that Marcia and Gary's relationship began to get a little rocky, Gary began to come home late from work wet and dirty. He wouldn't explain to Marsha where he had been or what he'd been doing while he was out. Which mm. is sketchy for any relationship, to be honest. But So this is red flag number 85? Yeah. At this point. Yeah. But, you know, coming home wet and dirty on top of coming home late and yeah. not telling your partner where you were. Where you yeah. were. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that's just one big riot Riot. Riot. <laughs> Giant red flag. He also found a new way to get himself excited. Ooh. A particular way Ridgeway would like to initiate sexual relations with Marcia would be to sneak out and scare her. No. On a few occasions, even choking her in the process. Ooh, nope, negative. Which, everyone has their kinks, but it's got to be consensual. Yes. And she did not like this choking. Marcia then proceeded to leave Gary on July 4th, 1980. Good for her. She filed for divorce on July 21st while also obtaining a restraining order against him. Then the following August, Ridgeway also obtained a restraining order against her. Okay. Uh, uh, you got a restraining order against me? Well, I'm getting one against you. That's, what do yeah. you think about that? That was kind of my thought, too. But apparently they were both afraid that the other would get violent as a result of their divorce. Which, for her, is understandable since his kink was choking her and scaring her to right, death. Right, but... He was, uh, he was afraid of her? I don't know. Their divorce was finalized in May of 1981, and Marcia got custody of Matthew. Thank God. Ridgeway was to pay $275 a month in child support and was permitted to see Matthew every other weekend. Shortly after, Ridgeway began dating again. He, He actually began dating and living with a woman who then kicked him out when she realized that he was cheating on her with another woman. Wow. He apparently had no issues meeting women or convincing them to go out with him. He gave off a very non-threatening presence, but even just looking at pictures of him, he looks very plain. Can I? I'm gonna look him up. Yeah, he, I mean, he wasn't particularly attractive. Gary Ridgeway? Yeah, but, ooh, what the fuck? Yeah, he wasn't particularly attractive, and we know that he wasn't, very intelligent, so honestly, I'm assuming he just knew how to speak to a woman and make her feel comfortable, which... Either that or he actually was intelligent and... Uh, sneaky intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, well... <laughs> yeah, no, this guy looks creepy as shit. Right! I mean, even if you look at, like, older photos of him, like, when, you know, actually within age, so 30-something... You know who could play this guy in a movie, like, for real? Who? Um... 
what is his name? Uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Gary playing Gary. Yeah. Like, he really could. It's... On July 15th, 1982, two teenage boys who are riding their bikes across a narrow bridge over the Green River noticed what they thought was a swimmer or a mannequin. Oh, they always think it's a mannequin. Clinging to a rotten mass that was coming up from the water. The, if it was a swimmer, the swimmer seemed very tired, and at this point, they began to wonder why she wouldn't just stand up. She uh, appeared to be covered in mud, and it was at this point that the realization set in for the boys, and they quickly pedaled off the bridge to find a telephone. Oof. This was the first victim of Gary Ridgeway. Her name was Wendy Lee Caulfield, and she was just 16 years old and living in a foster home. She had last been seen on July 8th, 1982. Crystal's trying to find her way over to you. She was found entirely nude except for her shoes and socks and appeared to have been strangled by her own pants. Caulfield is not the only victim to be found in Green River. In fact, Ridgeway's first five victims were found in the river, which is where he gained the name Green River Killer. The police noticed several similarities in his first five victims. They were sex workers, they were nude, and they were weighted down with rocks in their clothes and even had rocks inserted into their body cavities. No, no. Yeah, that was kind of my reaction when Mm. I heard that. They were all strangled with pieces of their own clothing. After these first five murders, King County Police knew that they had a really big problem on their hands and set up the biggest police task force since the famous Ted Bundy murders. Ooh. Yeah, we'll get into Ted Bundy in a bit. Uh, Each of his victims had their own lives, their own families, and sometimes even their own kids. Many of his victims were claimed as missing very quickly after their disappearances because of their closeness to their families. So he didn't, like, pick people who were, like... Who he thought wouldn't be missed. He thought he was picking people who wouldn't be missed because they were sex workers. So he just automatically assumed. He automatically assumed because these women were sex workers and runaways that they wouldn't be missed. So, but, yeah, but also let's not forget just how freaking young some of these women were. They were between the ages of 12 and 39. One of the still unidentified young women is estimated to be between the ages of 12 and 17. God. So, first of all, not only is he a killer and a rapist, he is also a pedophile. So, on August 29th, 1982, police saw a man driving on a dead-end road, which was frequented, frequented by sex workers. The police thought this was suspicious enough to pull the man over. His records indicated that he was Gary Ridgeway. He was released by police without being arrested. This guy was lucky. Like, he has been confronted by police before and just let go. And he keeps getting let go. Did they never, did they, like, question him? Did they, like... This time they did not question him. They just let him go. Just let him go. Cool, 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 cool. Just let him go. Oh, I have multiple holes this one. Oh, that's nice. That's cool. So, for police, it seemed like there was no end in sight. Again, because these women were sex workers. 
not enough attention was given to these cases publicly. Right. Like, there wasn't enough news, wasn't any papers, and bodies just continued to show up. Like, can you imagine if they had actually said something, then women would have actually been able to, I don't know, look out for themselves a bit more? Yeah. Like, that's one of the biggest issues I have with stuff like that, because if you don't tell people, like, what's going on, then they can't, especially in a community like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and you have to you have to think about it because they are sex workers. I mean, they do they do communicate. There is a little tree of information. Yeah, yeah you're right. And I assume like when some go missing, like they gotta realize. Yeah, and going on. and you know they talk and you know this is a little bit on the news, especially with the first victim. Yeah. Who was found? Who was so young? That's just so rough. What's that? That was dad. Oh. Uh, okay. Ridgeway never directly picked up a sex worker. He made sure that there were never any witnesses and would only choose a sex worker who was working alone. He would use a false name and even show a picture of his son to gain their trust. That is so fucked. You know what else he did? At one point, he actually had his son with him during one of the murders. Oh my god. Yeah. So... I can't remember where... Let's see. He had his son with him. He picked up the woman, you know, introduced, oh, hey, this is my son. Uh, You know, he told his son, uh, me and my friend here have to go... I don't know where they went, like an airport or something. But anyway, he returned without his friend. Yeah. So, I mean, it just... That... I can... I wouldn't even be able to imagine, like growing up and learning like I was there yeah well and growing up and finding out that one your dad is an infamous killer yeah killing 71 people that we know of yeah that that we know of that he confessed to and actually that number does keep rising Jesus. like I, I read one article which said it can be up to 82 victims so anyway <laughs> thank you da Vinci he agrees. He's like, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. Don't do that. Don't. Ow, ow. <sighs> okay, at least it's not a cord. At least it's just a book thing, though. Okay. Uh, 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 after having sex with the sex workers, he would strangle them from behind. At first with his bare hands using, you know, his, uh, whatever this is. Arm? Arm. Using, well... Forearm. Yeah, the forearm and the El- little the. places. <laughs> the underside of your elbow. <laughs> the weenus. <laughs> that is the elbow. Uh, anyway, but after s- several incidents where he was harmed while, you know, harmed, bruised, scratched mm-hmm. while trying to use his his own arm, arm? <laughs> he began using ligatures to strangle them. A few times even using his own socks. What the fuck? Yeah. Most of the bodies were not discovered until only the skeletons remained. Three victims are still unidentified, actually. That's so... Mm. Messed up? Yes. Yeah. He would occasionally contaminate the dump sites with gum cigarettes, and written materials belonging to others. Thank you, Da Vinci. 
He even transported a few victims' remains across state lines into Oregon to confuse the police. Okay, you can't tell me that he wasn't fucking smart. Like, his IQ, I don't... His IQ was at 82, That doesn't make sense to me. Hold on. (laughs) I'm already, like, four pages down. Yeah, his IQ was at 82. That's insane. A number of suspects came in and out of police questioning, but none of them stuck. Either they had valid alibis or another murder took place while they were being held. Mm. Which, you know, good for them. They didn't have to go to jail for something they didn't do. Yeah. Police then interviewed and subjected Ridgeway to a polygraph test in which they asked him if he had ever caused the death of a sex worker. Gary said no and passed the test and was cleared from the suspect what? list. Well, you know, lie detector tests are notoriously unreliable. Exactly. But they didn't they didn't know this then. In October 1986, detectives followed Ridgeway for a couple of weeks, even searching his home on April 8th, 1987. So even after he passed the lie detector test, they were still like They were still suspicious of him. Yep. Yeah. They seized hundreds of personal items and and obtained a saliva sample. Uh, However, at this time, DNA testing was still in the very, very, very early stages. And police weren't able to link his DNA to any of the victims. They also couldn't find anything in their search to tie him to the victims. But they thankfully saved those saliva samples. Smart. I always love those stories where, like, they save, like, DNA of some sort until, because they know that eventually the technology will be there. Yeah. It's one of those things that you're hopeful that it'll get there one day. There were 20,000 people considered suspects in the Green River Killer case. How many? 20,000. Jesus. As suspects. And 6,000 considered persons of interest. That's a That's a lot, and he was still on the list even after passing the polygraph test and getting pulled over multiple times. Multiple times? Oh, yeah. So they they know this guy. They know that he he frequents these areas where the sex workers are, and they still can't get him. It's just insane. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's crazy. And in 1987, Ridgeway met his third wife, Judith Mawson. They then married in June 1988 and bought a house. I'm going to assume the third time is not a charm. The hmm. charm. Well, hold on. Twice a month, the couple held a garage sale selling odds and ends in order to make extra money. Neighbors would later say that Ridgeway was a bit over-friendly. He would want to stop and talk all the time, but he overall appeared a normal person. Hmm. At this point in time, Ridgeway didn't do as many killings, if any at all, honestly. He was truly happy and in love with Judith, and there were only three more women found dead after he met Judith. So between 1987 and 2001, when he was arrested, he'd only killed three more women. Only. Only. (laughs) I I mean, three too many, but... (laughs) In a 2010 television interview, uh, Mawson stated that when she moved in with Ridgeway while they were dating, that there were no carpets. No carpets? No carpets. Yeah. Detectives later told her that he had probably wrapped a body in the carpet. Oh, that's... That's... Yeah. 
Yeah. But uh, in the same interview, she described how he would leave for work early in the morning some days. She speculated that he must have committed some of the murders while supposedly working these early morning shifts. So those are probably, like, ones that we don't know about if they think that he only murdered three people. After, yeah. Uh, She also claimed that she had not suspected Ridgeway of the crimes before he was contacted by authorities in 1987 and in fact had not even heard of the Green River Killer before that time because she didn't watch the news. Uh, yeah. Giant killer on the loose and this woman's not watching the news, which I mean if I you're really not don't. watching the news, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Ridgeway did state that his urge to kill was reduced while he was in a relationship with Malson causing him to commit fewer murders than he otherwise would have, and that he truly loved her. Mawson told a local television reporter sometime later that she felt she saved lives by being his wife and making him happy. Fun fact, Ted Bundy offered his help in finding the Green River Killer. Uh, He did more so in educating the police task force on serial killers, but actually accidentally confessed to more murders during this time. (laughs) Rather than actually helping with the case. What an idiot. But Bundy was the one to let cops know that the... I'm spitting all over my laptop. <laughs> sorry. Bundy Don't was... apologize to me. It's your laptop. <laughs> I'm sorry, laptop. Bundy was the one to let cops know that the Green River Killer was going back to the corpses and having sex with them. You know, I remember seeing the Ted Bundy um, documentary where he... In an interview, he said, um, he was, like, talking in the third person. He's like, this killer might go back and might even go back and revisit the bodies, Uh like, afterwards just to relive the experience. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. On Friday, November 16th, 2001, Gary Ridgway finished his shift at work and proceeded to the strip where sex workers would would hang out. That is so recent. Uh, well, it's not that recent. I'm I know, 18 years it feels ago. so recent, though. Uh, yeah. That's because we think of it, and it's in our lifetime, so we're just kind of like, oh, God, that could have been us. But then we think back, and we're like, mm, we were like six. I went out to the strip where sex workers would hang out. He saw one woman, and while waving money at her, first of all, demeaning. What? He yeah. Just- uh, he asked if she was dating. Sorry. If she was dating? If she was dating. Like, if, um... Like, if she wanted a date, basically? No, like... If she was seeing anyone. Sorry. (laughs) The non... Basically, the nicer way of saying, are you a prostitute? Oh. Can I pay for some services? Because he was waving money at her. Wow. Yeah. She, however, was not dating. She also was not a sex worker. She was an undercover cop. Oh. And he was arrested and charged with loitering and prostitution. Good. Because of his history with the police and with sex workers, and that he was always a suspect for the Green River Killer, police decided to take another look at the saliva sample he gave them. His saliva sample... His saliva sample... Sample. Give me a sample. (laughs) Shush. Uh, The saliva sample was retested against semen found on some of the bodies. And guess what? It was a match. It matched! It matched! On November 30th, 2001, 
police finally arrested Ridgway at his workplace and charged him with the murders of Marcia Chapman, Opal Mills, Cynthia Hines, and Carol Ann Christine. Christineson. Forensic scientists then identified microscopic spray paint spheres on Ridgway's work uniform and tied it to similar similar spheres found on the clothing of some more of the victims. This was a specific paint that was not sold to the general public and was used at Ridgway's workplace. So on March 27, 2003, three more murder charges were added to the indictment because of that. So she was right about his early mornings. Yep. Wendy Caulfield, Deborah Bonner, and Deborah Estes were all put onto the list of victims. Shit. Ridgway pleaded not guilty to the murders, and a trial was set for July 2004. The death penalty was almost a sure thing if he was convicted. Anthony Savage, Ridgway's lawyer, contacted the prosecutor with an offer. If the death penalty was taken off the table, Gary would plead guilty to the seven counts, along with an additional 40 to 47 counts of murder. Jesus. (sighs) Yeah. The deal also stipulated that Ridgway had to cooperate with the investigators and answer all questions truthfully. He also had to show them where the remaining bodies were located. In June 2003, the deal was agreed upon. Which, you know, it sucks he's still alive, but... At least, but at least those families get the families get some sort of closure. Over the next five months, investigators interviewed him numerous times to get his confession. Ridgway confessed to over seventy-one murders, but was ultimately charged for only forty-eight. Because that's all they could prove at the time. That's all they could prove at the time. All of the murders were planned, and he took great pride. And he took great pride in what he did, and would only take credit for the murders that he committed. He called his killings his career and showed no remorse or emotion when he spoke with the investigators. But he did admit that he had anger problems and would go off if a woman ever angered him. Which, you know, is why him and his second wife didn't get along so well, among many other reasons. Ridgway blamed the murders on his second wife. What a f- mm. Saying that if he had had a happy home to come home to, he no. wouldn't have had to kill. He spent hours before and after work trying to find sex workers when he did he would show them his id and a photo of his son as i originally told you Mm -hmm. ridgeway said that more than 50 times these women would ask if he was the green river killer oh my god but he always denied and asked how he could possibly be the killer because his stature was so small he was only 5'10 and weighed about 155 pounds I fucking hate this dude, for real. Yeah. Not that I loved him before, <laughs> but I still, I... Well, here, here's also the thing, though. Like, we were talking about the sex workers having that little branch of yeah. networking. He would have some good dates with sex workers so that he, he could get good references so, oh. for other sex workers. In fact, he would sometimes take the woman back to his house for a date. And while having sex with them, Ridgway would wrap his arm around the woman's neck using ligatures, sometimes he could find nearby. Socks, belts, fun stuff. I know I'm just repeating some stuff, but this is stuff that he's saying. Yeah. Ridgway never used a weapon because a weapon is too messy. If the victim didn't die right away, they would scream, and he did not want that. 
Yeah. He would tell his victims if they stopped struggling, he would let them go. So when they stopped struggling, it made it much easier for them to kill him. For him to kill them. Yes. What did I say? Them to kill him. (laughs) We wish. No. Yeah, it would be much easier for him to kill them. He always took their clothing and jewelry, and if a victim scratched him, he would cut their nails so that there would be no DNA evidence. That is fucking bonkers. Yeah. You know, at least he got a little bit smart afterwards, after the first couple, but still. But I mean, like, it's so insane that you think, like, that one of the biggest things that you hear about him is that his IQ was so low, and then... And then he's doing all this really smart stuff to not get caught. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's got... I don't know if he's got common sense or what it is, but he's... I I don't know. He he was... What's the word that I want to do? He was very calculated in what he was doing. Yeah very premeditated. He would also take the jewelry that he took from the victims and he would put it in the women's bathroom at work. He got a weird thrill seeing his female co-workers walking around and wearing the jewelry of the people he murdered. What the fuck? He thought of the victims' bodies as his own possession. Possessions. He dumped the bodies within half an hour of killing them covering them with brush, branches, and garbage. He would only dispose of the bodies at night so that he wouldn't be seen, and deliberately misled police by leaving cigarette butts at the crime scenes. He was not a smoker, so this was Uh. a huge something else. When killing a woman at his home, he would back up his truck to the house, wrap their body in carpet or plastic and drag the body outside, put the body in the back of the trunk, and drive off. Uh, like I said, each kill was calculated and very planned, I guess. That, oh. Since, you know, he had a whole system with backing the car up to the house. Yeah. He also admitted to the police that he would frequently drive back to the dump sites and have sex with the corpses until they were very decomposed. To the point that there were maggots. Oh my god. Like, first of all, the smell. Second of all, the maggots. Third of all, you killed the person. Yeah. I mean, actually, you killed the person should be first, but still. He said that he really didn't like having sex with the corpses. But he justified this by saying that having sex with the deceased reduced his need to obtain a living victim. (laughs) Yeah, he's just full of... I, I know I'm not giving a lot of response right now. It's just so messed up. It, it's, I don't need. I genuinely can't just. It yeah. It's it's very messed up. Uh, he also told police that he would have killed many more women, but it cost too much money and gas and too much time to dump the bodies. It cost too much money. It cost too much money. Yeah, money and time. Oh. Yeah, he's he's a great human being. In a hearing on November 4th, 2003, Ridgway gave a full confession to the murders. He believed that he was solving the prostitute problem. When he killed these women, he didn't remember their names. He said he had killed so many women that he couldn't remember them at all and often killed women upon the first time meeting them. So, 
he would place most of the bodies of his victims in clusters in order to keep track of all of the women that he... Oh, so he couldn't keep track of their names, but he could keep track of how many? Yeah. Cool. Yep, cool, yep. cool, cool. Great. Fantastic. He would drive past the clusters in order to think about the time that he killed these women. In December 2003, Judge Jones ordered Ridgway to serve 48 life sentences, as well as 10 extra years for each life sentence for tampering with evidence. I'm not going to read the statement that he made to the court because I'm fairly certain that he had no remorse for his actions and doesn't regret them at all. He said himself that he doesn't remember the majority of the victims and he just regrets being caught. So anything he said in court doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. At least not to me. No. If anyone wants to listen to a great two-part podcast on this where they go in-depth and give more details on the victims, I highly recommend Criminology. It was such an informational podcast and gave human lives to the victims that I think most people do forget about because it has been almost 30 years now. So, I mean, it was a really good podcast. I might listen to it. If I can... Uh, I'm so mad. <laughs> Just, like, I... I know. <laughs> it's rough because, like, you listen to podcasts all the time and you're like, wow, that's really fucked up. And then you, like, sit here and, like, do all this research about all the stuff that people do and you're like, wow, the world is so fucked up. Well, and not even that. I have, I have a list of his victims and their ages and when they disappeared and when they were found that I kind of wanted to go through, but I think that might be too much of a downer. <laughs> Alright, well, after after that, um, <laughs> how do you follow that? With, With a better story than someone killing 71 people. <laughs> better story? I don't know. Less, uh, less emotionally draining? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so, this one a swan? I did. Bat squatch. Bat what? <laughs> bat squatch. Oh, bat squatch. I was like, back squatch? Yes. <laughs> what? Bat, bat squatch. squatch. Okay. All right, so this one isn't really, like, Tacoma, per se. Where is it? It's like Mount St. Helens. It's like two hours <laughs> Okay, away. well, that is general vicinity, so I guess we can let it slide. Okay. Well... Uh, so I got this from fandom.com. Thank you, fandom.com. Surprisingly, it's some good cryptid info. Uh, Mysteriousuniverse.com. And pararational.com. All right. So, Batsquatch, here's one picture. Oh. Just throwing microphones. It's okay. Fine, well, no, it's fine. no. Show me again. It looks just like a hairy ape with wings. Because he is a hairy ape with Funny wings. Funny that you say that. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Batsquatch. Batsquatch is a flying cryptid that was allegedly sighted near Mount St. Helens in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it resembles a flying primate. Lovely. Similar to the Ahul and the Orang Bati from South Asia, which you'll have to Google them later. Okay. 
It, it's pretty Because I know nothing about them. So the creature was said to have yellow or red eyes, bat-like or wolf-like muzzle, mm. blue or purple fur, sharp teeth. <laughs> blue or purple? Blue or purple. Okay. Like, Purpley. Yeah. Sharp teeth, bird-like feet, and leathery bat-like wings that span up to 50 feet. Basquatch is said to be nine feet tall and has the ability to affect at least car engines. How? Don't know. Okay. So it's said to cause feelings of dread in those who cross its path. Okay. And mm. something, some think that it's possibly just a, like, misunderstood sightings of Mothman, just because it can affect man-made things similar to Mothman. Okay. Yeah. Mothman. So. That's watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw this, I was like, there's no way I'm not doing this. <laughs> So, in, the, in March of 1980, the region was rocked when Mount St. Helens experienced a major volcanic eruption that unleashed destruction on a catastrophic scale. Uh-huh. Um, it flattened vast swaths of trees and buildings over an era, area of 230 square miles. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, it spewed massive Ooh. amounts of ash and 1.5 million metric tons of sulfur dioxide into the air, creating the largest debris avalanche ever recorded. Okay. Yeah, no, that was Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, the explosion was so violent that it completely obliterated the top of the mountain, shaving the the summit from 9,677 feet to 8,363 feet. Ooh. It left an enormous crater, and by the time the dust cleared, dozens of people were dead and hundreds of homes destroyed. Oh. Yeah. The 1890 eruption is, to this day, the single most destructive volcanic event in U.S. history. That's Some say that this was the beginning of Bat-Squatch legends, but the claims weren't taken seriously until 1994, when one sighting launched real interest in the case. Mm. Cased. Cased. Cast. In the case. In April of 1994, a man named Brian Canfield was driving along a remote stretch of road on his way to Camp 1, located in the Mount Rainier foothills. Camp 1. Camp 1. Yeah, that's why I thought okay. I wrote it wrong. But no, that's what it is. Uh... Located in Mount, in the Mount Rainier foothills near Lake Kapausen, when his vehicle abruptly and unexpectedly stopped in his tracks. Okay. So, hmm. Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier aren't the same thing. Yeah. They're two different places, so maybe it spreads out a bit. Okay. It, it, you'll, oh, it'll get explained. Okay. <laughs> um... I'm sure you see the confused look on my yeah, I was, yeah, I even made it a note. I was like, they're not the same thing. Okay. Uh, so, considering that his truck was in perfect working condition and he hadn't stepped on the brakes, he was like, what the fuck? He tried several times to restart the truck and it failed each time. While sitting there trying to turn on his truck, something came gliding past the light from coming from the headlights. Um, he said that he could, he could see that it was huge. It was a huge winged humanoid ape-like creature around nine-ish tall with bluish tinged fur. It had a muzzled bat-like face with sharp teeth and glowing eyes with taloned feet like a bird of prey. So now I'm just thinking of the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well it's nine feet tall so. <laughs> well I mean they could easily be nine feet tall. I don't think so. No they weren't. So, like the beast tall. made its way to a small field nearby just off the road and landed in a way that he noted seemed to seemed like an aircraft coming in for a landing, like really just like diving in. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, 
It was standing there staring at me like it was resting, like it didn't know what to think. I was just scared. It raised the hair on me. I didn't feel threatened. I just felt out of place. It's looking right at me in, like, in a deep stare, like, right through me. Standing perfectly still, it stood for a few minutes, several minutes. Then its fingers twitched and its wings began to unfold. Those things were as wide as the road. It turned its head and looked back at me and started flapping its wings. A few minutes later, the truck started and I took off as fast as I could. Hmm. This sighting was widely widely reported in the media and the creature quickly earned the nickname Batsquatch. Batsquatch! (laughs) By all accounts, Canfield was a normal guy who didn't do drugs, didn't drink, and it's still not really clear if it was a hoax or not because people tend to like try to figure out if people you know because when there's like stuff like this and like certain sightings people are like trying to figure out if they're like an unreliable witness Mm -hmm. so (laughs) that's so cute she wants to hold your hand but yeah so he like didn't do drugs didn't drink people said he didn't seem like the sort of person who would make it up yeah and there's another one apparently this one's been debunked but i wanted to add it anyway Okay. Uh, so the same year, a local liquor store owner who was an avid mountaineer and amateur pilot, Butch Whitaker, claimed that he had been flying his plane over Mount Rainier one day when an enormous winged, winged humanoid... Oh my fucking shit. Winged humanoid? Yes. <laughs> Creature flew up next to him and kept pace for a few minutes before flying out of sight. So that one was uh, fake, but it still sounded cool. So mm-hmm. I just added it. Another story was posted on this um, website, which was kind of suspect, considering it was literally posted on a website called batsquatch.com. Um, <laughs> they claimed to be a witness who saw a logging truck actually hit this creature along an isolated mountain road. The truck was barreling down the road, only to suddenly make contact with something, which the witness first thought was a tree stump or a log. Uh, okay. Which whatever. The truck then teetered over the edge of the road and slid down the sharp and steep mountainside. The witness ran to try to help the driver and realized that the truck hadn't hit a log but something else. Something that wasn't even bothered by the truck. Oh, that's lovely. It can yeah. just withstand the, the extreme force from a moving truck. Right. Which is, this one's suspect to be honest. That's true. Yeah. The witness said the creature stood about 15... Uh, yeah, 15 feet high when it was sitting, and hunched hmm. over. Uh, they later discovered that it would measure to be an easy 30 feet from head to bottom once it was airborne. So they're either really bad at measurements, or this is like a final boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to say they're really bad at measurements. I'm going to say that too. Uh, they said bottom because it didn't really have a tail. The head of the animal was unusually small compared to its massive body. 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 I said body. <laughs> Uh, the beady purple eyes would remind anyone who had the misfortune of seeing them this creature... What does that mean? I don't know what that means. What'd you write? I'm gonna Google it. R-A-T-O-N. What does that mean? Raton. Raton. Meaning. Raton. According to Merriam-Webster, definition of Asian, action or process flirtation, something connected with an action or process discoloration. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't say... I didn't say okay Google. What the fuck? Okay. I'm fucking creeped out. What? It also, it also did the definition of action. So we'll just ignore that. Okay, I think it means like rat. Rat. Hold on. Raton family. Uh, Raton is a city in New Mexico. 
Yep, saw that. I think they're just dumb. I don't know. Rattan we'll also that. means mouse in Spanish. Sure. Okay. <laughs> let's let's go with that one. Um, being of noteworthy common is the long pointed ears <coughs> from which protruded from the top of the creature's head. Wait, what protruded? Ears. Ears, okay. Uh, the nose is really small. The most pronounced feature of the nose being its unusual color of purple. So someone likes purple. Yep. I believe this is the only creature in the world that has a purple nose, they said. The wingspan and of the purple creature... eyes. Right. <laughs> wingspan of the creature looked very small, as if it couldn't fly with such a small wing surface. However, they later learned once the creature was airborne, the wings extended out to form a wingspan of a good 40 feet. Yeah, this person's insane. Or on something. Probably. They also said it's hand. It had four sets of hands. So what? This one's like shh, pretty stupid. So like, wait, four actual sets of hand, or yeah. like two hands and two feet that have thumbs. It said. All right. So they said appeared to have four sets of hands. So that's two sets of claws slash hands on the wings, about midway, and another set on the torso, almost as if they were human. <laughs> so it's got dragon hands. Yeah. And human hands. Okay. They said... Okay, so I know this one's got to be fake. Because they said, I didn't notice the hands near the torso until another encounter with the animal the next day. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Creature was very frightening to look at and could be a cross between a large bat and excessively large furry human. Large furry humans. Okay. Those are a thing. Sure. Yeah. They just... They were like, I think you would call it bat squatch, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, I really wouldn't put too much thought into that one, considering the way it was written and included some really dramatic elements, like the witness deciding to delete their email address on this thing that I read, like, because they, <laughs> they believed they were being followed and tracked down by nefarious agencies, as well as the fact that it was posted on an internet forum directly related to Batsquatch. So, like, the men in black. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, honestly, it's, this one's more just like a creepypasta instead of yeah, an actual account. really. On June 2011, a man was in his yard walking his dog, and he went to pick up the dog when he saw something in the sky. He said the following, I saw something flying in the sky. It had bat wings, blue fur, and a face similar to a bat and eyes glowing red. It was about nine feet tall at least. After I watched it, it just flew away. <laughs> uh, sightings haven't been limited to Washington, though. In 2009, hikers on Mount Shasta in Northern California apparently saw a flying humanoid with bat-like face come flying out of a cave on the mountainside. The way they describe this thing is so funny. It said... Okay, so they said, I mean, this thing was huge. It was as tall as a man, as stocky as Hulk Hogan, and had leathery wings. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) I believe the wingspan was at least 50 feet from one end to the other. I was holding up my camera, but I was paralyzed with fear as this thing flew by. I didn't get a picture. Sorry. (laughs) What do you think this thing might be? Could it have been a pterodactyl? (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, It was flying or gliding fast, and it seemed to have a head of a bat thinking about it it doesn't have the head of a pterodactyl i just saw a picture of a pterodactyl and the heads are not similar why would you bring it up okay this uh (laughs) are we sure 
that this person didn't have drugs some, um, in their system? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I would think it had the head of a bat or maybe more like a fox. The damn thing flew into a clump of trees and vanished. I heard you guys might be going to Mount Shasta. If you do, please look out for this thing. If you see it, you will shit all over yourself. I kid you not. So that's fun. On April 14th, 2014, at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio, a second period Spanish class spotted a giant black mass zip, out, zip by the window of the classroom at incredible speed. The class claims it was about 9 feet tall with a 20 to 30 foot wingspan. So even though it's thought to have emerged in the 1980s with the eruption of Mount St. Helens, there are some weirdly similar reports that were made in the 1970s down in Texas. This thing is just all over the place. Yeah. So, <laughs> Okay. In January 1976, there were a bunch of sightings over a span of, like, two weeks. There were brothers named David and John Dot, who John were... John Dot? D-A-U-T. Dot. Doubt. Dot. I'm gonna say Dot. 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 I'm gonna say... Dot. Doubt. I'm gonna say Dot. 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 I'm gonna say Dot. They were driving along a rural road in the Rio Grande Valley when a bat-winged humanoid with with a head similar to a wolf and estimated as being 8 to 10 feet tall landed in front of them, forcing them to stop the car. As they tried to back away from the creature, it leapt forward as if about to attack, only to fly over them with an audible whooshing of its wings. And so, <laughs> hold on, question. Yeah. Are we sure this thing isn't a giant flying fox? Absolutely not. Okay. But it's called Bat Squatch, so I don't know. But, I mean, I'm just saying, these things are huge, and look at that face. <laughs> I guess, but it said that it's face, like, most people say that its face is more like, think of, like, not that type of bat. Oh, like with the really squishy Yeah, with the little snouts. Okay, okay. So, sorry. So, in another case, uh, father and son claimed to have been hunt- out hunting near deer in Hidalgo County near Houston when the creature swooped down to grab the father and tried to carry him off with... The man only barely managing to escape when the son shot at it with his rifle. Okay. Brave man, little son. Right. The man was apparently left with broken ribs and deep talon marks on his body. Altogether, uh. yeah. Altogether, a total of ten people claimed to see the creature, including two police officers. Mm, okay. It's unclear if these encounters have anything to do with the Bathwatch, but they're similar. Yeah. So, uh, here are some theories. Let's get into these theories. So... One idea is that it's some genuine undiscovered creature that's been flushed from its habitat by the eruption of the volcano. Entirely possible. But then, really, it's like, what kind of animal is it and why has no one seen it before? Ah, it was flushed out of the volcano. Yeah. I guess. It could be. Another is that it might be more supernatural. Okay. Like a demon because of the feeling of dread that people experience whenever it's near. Similar to the feeling that people experience when encountering black-eyed kids. Okay, also valid, but people can also have these reactions because they don't know what it is. True. Now who's the skeptic, Rachel? I can definitely be a skeptic. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it's the uh, specter similar to the Mothman, and the reason it's there is because it caused the eruption. Mm. Mm -hmm. Another idea is that this one's the best. Well, it's second best, I think. Okay. So the idea, uh, another idea is that the eruption was so violent that it caused a tear in, uh, caused a tear in the fabric between two dimensions that the creature managed to come through this rift into our world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
hey, you never know. So, okay, so the, the dimension that this thing is from, there's just a whole bunch of bat-like, human-sized creatures flying around that have four arms and two legs and leathery wings. Yeah, sounds pretty chill. <laughs> okay. Another one that I think is interesting uh, is that it's actually an alien. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's more realistic, to be honest. Yeah, and the way that it affected uh, that guy's truck seems to lend itself to this idea because it tends to happen a lot with UFO encounters. Mm-hmm. Like, things stop working, like cars just suddenly shut off and stuff like that. Cars, watches, etc. Yeah, and of course there's the idea that it's all a hoax. Which is entirely possible. So. Which is entirely possible, but I like to think that it's, personally, I like to think it's an alien. Yeah, I like the I like the alien theory the best because I mean we can't be alone. The the universe is too big. Yeah, I decided to do this one because I was like, she's doing one that's like really fucked up. I should probably do something that's a little bit like <laughs> like a this lighthearted. Is, this is, yeah, it's pretty yeah. lighthearted. Kind of kind of almost dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you just pissed her off. You're just why Look. do you have to touch her like that? I was just petting her. I I know. Thought it's what she wanted. She doesn't know what she wants. <laughs> cute, cute, cute. Well, that was... Alright, well, that's the... all I got, yeah. <laughs> Bat-squatch. Bat-squatch. I swear, it's just like a... It's just a giant flying fox. That... I don't know why it's Why would Washington. that make more sense? Why would that make more sense? Because those are things that exist that people are already kind of afraid of because they're so big. Flying fox? Yeah. I've never, literally never heard of that. They're in Australia. Okay, well, that's Washington. I know, but, like, maybe it just crossed the ocean. You think that's more likely? Or someone brought it over on a boat. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somebody in the 80s brought over a A pet flying flying fox. Yeah, entirely possible. New theory. It's someone's pet flying flock. Flying flox. Flying fox. I like my theory better. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even... You can't even with me, and I'm giving you a logical explanation. That's not a logical explanation. Your your logical explanation is that a, another cryptid-like animal is actually what it is. No, a flying fox is a real thing. No, it's... What? Yeah, it's It's, it's a nine giant. feet tall. No, it's like two feet tall. Okay, that's not what this is. I'm saying that people can't measure for shit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they know the difference between two feet and nine feet. Not necessarily. Yes, no, what? Yes! What about the one guy who said 50 feet? Okay, that one was obviously <laughs> fake. Obviously fake. Yes. Okay. But just agree to disagree. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Hold on. No. There are some things that I am a skeptic about, and it is the cryptid that can be connected to another creature. That's not a thing. No. <laughs> I'm not saying this thing actually exists, but I'm definitely not. I'm definitely saying that it's not a flying fox. It's a flying fox. It's not a flying. It's, it's a nine flying feet fox. tall. Maybe it evolved. It's not a fucking Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did this. <laughs> no, maybe. Hold on. What's the word? Maybe it. 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 Oh crap. Mutated. No. Well, I mean that's a good word too. No, I'm pretty sure it's evolved because we hum- <laughs> touchy subject. Humans, Humans evolved. did not evolve from apes. We shared a common ancestor. Yes, but there was an evolution somewhere to create the common Look. ancestor. Look. 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 No. That common ancestor separated into the apes 
and we separate into humans. There's evolution somewhere in there. Darwinian theory. You are insane right now. (laughs) (laughs) What? Darwinian theory. That's not the right word. You're too tired. I will tell you this tomorrow, too. No. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Um, All right, everyone. You don't need to hear this wonderful little... We're going to continue arguing after this. I... (laughs) It's not what... People say it's got a smushed face like a bat. Maybe people are blind like me. Yeah. I can't. Also, if it's flying from so far away, how can you see it? Okay, does a flying fox have large leathery wings? Yes, actually. Fuck. (laughs) Hold on, I'm gonna Google it. Yeah, Uh, make sure you Google giant flying fox, otherwise you get all the little, like, half a footers. 11 ounces. The only thing I can say is that flying foxes are okay. not purple. Exactly. This thing is like black or like brown and black and orange. It's yeah. not purple. That's the only thing I can say is that it's not purple, so I don't know where these people are getting this purple color from. And it's got yellow and red. Are they colorblind too, Rachel? Also possible. But I'm not every saying single anything. person. Cool. Yeah. Every single Does it only target colorblind people? <laughs> yes. I care. <laughs> no, if. Yeah, it's Show like, me some more proof. I'm sorry. I'm all for Bigfoot. I'm all for Mothman. But also, Mothman is supposed, supposedly can be traced back to owls that are oversized. So why can't this bat squatch be? I'm not even saying that I believe in this thing. I'm just saying it's <laughs> not what you say it is. It's not... I'm just giving another theory. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just giving another theory. That's all. <laughs> what about people saying it's like a giant man? Well, all right, you know what? We're going to bed. <laughs> it's late. It's time to go to bed. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Goodbye. Goodbye.